You are listening to the podcast of Calvary Church in Irwin, Pennsylvania. For more information, you can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com. Well, thank you, uh, Pastor Delana, for that. And if I have the chance to meet you, my name is Pastor Nick. I'm the lead pastor here. And uh, what you just heard is some of our projects. And uh, if you're not familiar, you're not, uh, you may be uh, familiar with what we do with Calvary Cares. As she mentioned, you can go to calvarycarescampaign.org and see all the information about our Calvary Cares campaign. And uh, man, our projects this year are so awesome. You should have gotten a brochure with some of those when you came in. Be praying about what God might have you give this year. We believe that God has blessed us, that we can be a blessing. It's not about what I can consume. It's about what I can give. And this is an opportunity for us to give 100% away. And uh, you heard about one of the projects last week with the Pittsburgh Dream Center and uh, Forever Free working with Project Rescue this uh, week. And we're going to have a couple more projects we're going to be introducing the next couple weeks. So uh, I believe that God has us here together, working together, that we can use our collective efforts and resources to make a difference. Now, if you haven't been with us, we are in the middle of a series called Writing History. I love history. I don't know if you're a big fan of history. Pastor Dave did an awesome job last week if you missed that message, but I'm a big fan of history. I love studying history. What's even better than studying history is writing history. Uh, Something incredible about uh, us being part of history. And and you might be uh, like, hey, Nick, I uh, am just kind of going through life and what I'm doing isn't that significant. Uh, Here's the deal. We don't know what's significant about history until you look back. Let's make a story, write a story for the ages with our lives. Now, in 2004, uh, at the the begging and request of his wife, uh, a school janitor by the name of William Paul Young uh, who had never authored a book before in his life, began writing out this story that he wanted to give to his kids uh, in the Christmas of 2005. And and really the idea of the story was uh, kind of putting on paper some of the ideas and principles of following Jesus that William and his wife wanted their kids to possess and one day maybe hand on, pass on to their own kids. Now they had six kids. Um, So uh, just before uh, the uh, Christmas of 2005, William Paul Young completes the book. He gets it printed at Kinko's, puts it in these nice little uh, spiral binders, and he presents it to his six kids at Christmas, and they were overjoyed, of course, to get this gift that their father personally had written just to them. Uh, after Christmas, uh, William Paul Young had this thought of, hey, I have a friend who's an author. I'm going to send this to him just to see what he thinks. So he sends a digital copy to his friend, and his friend reads it. And like, he tells him, uh, William, I was just going to read a little bit, but kind of like just shuffle through it. I can't stop printing the pages. I, I want to know what's next. And, and he, he's consuming this book. And uh, after he reads it, his friend insists that he get, get it published. So William and his friend reach out to numerous publishers. And each time they reach out, they're denied. Uh, one after another. Then they decided to, to just put their money together. And in, uh, in, the, in 2007, they self-published this book. With no more than $300 in marketing, they weren't like putting millions of dollars or thousands of, even of dollars. By the summer of 2008, after publishing in 2007, William Paul Young's self-published book, known as The Shack, had sold over a million copies. Can you imagine this? A book he just wrote for his six kids has now sold over a million copies, not with some big publisher pushing it or marketing it, but literally, 
just putting it out there. Uh, it would become the number one paperback trade fiction seller on the New York Times bestseller book from June of 2008 all the way until early 2010, almost two years. Today, the book has sold over 20 million copies. Outside of the Bible is one of the top-selling Christian books in human history. And this remarkable book that's now within the top 100 books of all books ever authored uh, has, has become a book, would have never become a book if William Paul Young's wife hadn't pushed him and prompted him. If you're married, won't you nudge your spouse and be like, remember, I told you so? Uh, like, think about this incredible book that has changed lives would have never happened if his wife hadn't prompted him. After all, he had never written a book. He had absolutely no intention of, or, or dream of writing a book. And yet, it turns out to be one of the most remarkable stories in the last century that has impacted literally millions of lives. And when you hear a story like this of William Paul Young and, and, and the story that ultimately was inside of him that just needed the opportunity, the right chance to come out, it makes you wonder, what greatness is inside of you that maybe has yet to be discovered? Like, what's happening in you, in your mind, your heart, that maybe has yet to be discovered? Is there something resting in you right now that God placed there waiting for just the right moment for it to blossom? Well, one of the obstacles to stepping into our moment of, of sorts uh, is we look at our past, and so often we discount our future because of what we see behind us. You know, maybe we assume our pre-COVID success is gone and we'll never see it again. Like, those were the best years. I don't know if you ever talk about, like, the years gone by, like, the, the times when things were at their best, the good old days, you might say. And those times are gone. Like, we're never going to discover that again. It's not going to be the same again. Uh, things are just going to be depressing and discouraging and kind of downhill from here. Or, or, or maybe you're on the other side. There are things that you're ashamed of, mistakes that you've made that you believe discount any possible future for your life. And, and because of this, our value, our worth, our, our importance can oftentimes be dictated by how our present circumstances match up with our past, good or bad. And, and we discount. And what happens when we discount is we, we shut off. In the kingdom of God, though, our value and our worth is viewed through an entirely different lens. It's not about what you have, what you do, or what you have done, but God views us through this different lens, the lens of our potential. I don't know if you've ever had like 3D glasses, and you look at this 3D image, and you're like, that looks really off. It's blurry. It's kind of hard to see. And then you put the 3D lenses on. It's like jumping out at the page for you. It's like really awesome how that works. And, and it's all about the lens you're putting on. God views our lives, views your life, not through the lens of your past. Like when you're just looking at face value, it's like, man, your life looks a little crazy. You know, it looks like not much is going to come out of it. But then you put the lens of God, how God views you. And everything comes into view and focus. One of the moments in history that you see this uh, really evident, was in 6th century Israel. And let me explain what was happening. Around 830 B.C., the third king in Israel's history, King Solomon, would finish construction of one of Israel's most beautiful, ornate, expensive structures in their entire history. It was called the temple. Uh, this remarkable feat of construction uh, was dedicated to the worship of God, 
and, and was one that Solomon spared absolutely no expense in building. He ordered vast quantities of cedar wood from King Haram from Tyre. He, he, he had huge blocks of choice stone quarried and had the building's foundation made of this hewn stone. Silver and gold lines the building inside and out. It was an impressive structure whose beauty was unmatched across the entire world. It was the, it was the Taj Mahal of their day. In fact, Solomon would assume such incredible debts in building this building that he actually had to give 20 towns to King Haram uh, to pay off the debts. 20 towns from Galilee to the King, of Har- uh, King Haram. <clears throat> For about 300 years, three centuries, the Israelites would worship in this temple. It was the crown jewel, the focal point of their capital city of Jerusalem. Around 587 B.C., the king of Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar, would invade Israel, march through the streets of Jerusalem, and destroy Solomon's temple. This incredible, impressive building was now just a pile of rubble. It was a really devastating period in Israel's history as most, the most celebrated, most recognizable building in the entire nation was now just a pile of stones and dirt. In our context, to relate to that, you could think of what happened on September 11th is the trade centers fell. This, this beacon of, of capitalism, of the American spirit and, and, and the American uh, drive is now just rubble. This is what Israelites were experiencing. About 50 years later, after Babylon's invaded, taken over Israel, Israel's no longer an independent, sovereign nation. They simply are answering to the Babylonians. Babylon is actually conquered by uh, Persia. And about 50 years later, in 538 BC, a man by the name of Zerubbabel would be charged by Cyrus, who's the king of Persia at that time, uh, and, and had conquered Nebuchadnezzar with the task, ultimately, of rebuilding that temple. Can you imagine be giving the task to rebuild this building that was so iconic, so important, so special, and, and Solomon had spared no expense? How in the world... Can you ever match that? Now this was, uh, if you were with us last month, this was about 70 years or so before Esther uh, came onto the scene that we talked about this past month. Now with this charge by Cyrus to rebuild the temple, over 42,000 Israelites would be sent back to Jerusalem to assist Zerubbabel with the difficult task of reconstructing this beautiful building. As they arrived... They first would build an altar and offer sacrifices once again on the very land where the temple once stood. It was a way to dedicate this time and this space and this land back to God. They then began the long process of laying the foundation. It would take them almost two years to complete just laying the foundation. That's how big of a deal this was. But as many were celebrating this monumental step of laying the foundation of this temple, listen to what some of the older priests we're saying, it's recorded in, in Ezra. So uh, we're going to be looking at the book of Haggai, but Haggai and Ezra kind of go hand in hand. In the book of Ezra, chapter 3, in verse 12, here's what it says. It says, but many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid. Now, you might think, oh, it must have been that, like, overjoyed that they're weeping aloud. No, the older priests and Levites who were the, the, the family or tribe of Israel that were priests and family heads, kind of the, the, the matriarchs, patriarchs, so to speak, 
They're weeping not because they're overjoyed. They're weeping because they're so sad. They're like, look at this foundation. How pathetic. I remember what the temple once looked like, and look how sad this is. They were sad. Uh, Because of the memory of their past was so great, they couldn't fathom a dream of the future. And once the foundation was laid, here's the deal. Nothing would happen for over 16 years. Like, like they basically had, had, had built the foundation, and then they stopped. They stopped construction. It's like building a building across the highway from Montsor Hospital and then doing nothing with it. <laughs> Any of you relate to that? Man, I drive by that all the time. I'm like, man, that'd be such a cool church. Um, I've been doing that for 35 years. Um, Anyway, I was doing that before I was even born, because 35 years, I wasn't even born yet, I don't think. Um, I was, but we digress. This is what happened. 16 years, they build the foundation, nothing happens. What, what, what had halted the construction of this building? You know, they would, they would drive by or walk by, no activity, no progress, still no temple. Think about it. Children that were born when that foundation was being laid, as they grow up, they were told, we're building a temple there. And now they're teenagers, and they're thinking, you've been telling me that for my entire life, and nothing's happened. What's the deal? And while the Israelites were facing some opposition from neighboring countries, the real reason they stopped construction was that so many of the elders were, were hesitant because they felt they could never construct a temple that even comes close to what Solomon had built. Well, what was happening was they were looking back and they were saying, man, that's so beautiful and good. And you know how the past is. You look at it through rose-colored lenses. It's like even better than you thought. They're like, man, there was like a Starbucks in there. And like every time I'd walk in, they would just hand me free stuff. It was awesome. None of that probably happened. But that's what they were thinking back in their past. And, and they thought, we can't compare, so we're just going to stop. And here's the deal. This is what was happening. The memories of their past became greater than the dreams of their future. The memories of their past were so big, so grand, so great, that the future seemed to pale in comparison. And as the temple foundation and altar sat unfinished for 16 years, God would do what he says so often. He sent a person to challenge the people. We call them in the Old Testament a prophet. His name was Haggai. And Haggai was sent to challenge and encourage both Zerubbabel and God's people to continue the task that they had been sent back from exile to do. See, those 42,000 people were living in Babylon, Persia. They were living in a foreign land. We talked about this last month if you're with us, a pagan land. And now they had the incredible opportunity to go home, to return home after 50 years, 60 years. They got to go home. How awesome is that? But they went home with a purpose, and it was to rebuild the temple, and they hadn't done it. So Haggai steps onto the scene, and he challenges the people. Here's what Haggai said. Uh, and notice in these verses, Haggai chapter 2, how many times Haggai references uh, the Lord Almighty. Here's what it says, Haggai chapter 2, verse 6. It says, this is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, 
The sea and the dry land, I will shake all nations and what is desired by all nations will come and I will fill this house with glory. I wanna stop there. He's like, guys, you're afraid of these other nations. I know you're, you're kind of going through PTSD of being conquered before. Like, what happens if we build it and get destroyed again? Like, why even try? And you're worried. But listen, I'm going to shake the nations. I'm going to take care of you. And it goes on, says the Lord Almighty, Haggai writes, the, the silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. He says again, the, the glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And this, in this place, I will give, grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. Do you get the hint that Haggai's trying to communicate something here? Like, this is from God, this isn't you. This isn't how strong you are, how impressive you are, how many resources you have, whether or not you have what it takes, because this isn't about you. This is about the Lord Almighty. Like, God is behind this, and he's almighty. Like, Haggai's trying to get this into their heads. He's not just writing that because he's like, I don't know what else to say. I'll just call him the Lord Almighty. I ran out of descriptives to use, or adjectives. No, he's trying to convey something to the Israelites. You see, we so often look at the past. We look at the past and, and, and become so afraid and hesitant to dream again. Maybe it's because of the pain and uncertainty that you've faced these last few years. Maybe it's because you lost faith in your own ability to do anything beyond what you've already done. But the thought maybe of starting a business or, or uh, the thought of pursuing a new career, the idea of becoming a pastor or a missionary or, or, or doing whatever God's put on your heart <clears throat> scares us so much that we just stop. We get almost paralyzed. We settle. We stop pursuing the dream God has for us. And we just settle for what already is. And we tell ourselves, it's not so bad. Like, life right now isn't so bad. Maybe it's not as great as God wants, but it's better than it was. Like, I'm not living in Persia anymore. At least I'm back in the homeland. I know the temple's not here, but it's not so bad. And God, I believe, has handed us a pen, a pen to write this remarkable story. And, and, and so often, we take that pen and we set it down on the table and walk away, assuming that that story could never be written because we don't have what it takes. And, and what, what, what I want to share with you today is this. The memories of your past are not a prophecy of your future. They are simply the foundation your future will be built upon. Let me step back for a minute. We think that our past defines and dictates what is possible in our future. Why? Because that's what we're told. You're told your whole life, right? Make sure you do well in school because it's going to affect your future. Oh, you screwed up back there. That means you probably can't do this now. We get this idea, this concept, that my past is the prophecy of my future, meaning... The, the, the string that's woven throughout my past is going to dictate what is and what is not possible with my future. It makes logical sense, but it's not accurate. The future is built on the foundation of the past. What you've experienced, good, bad, ugly, impossible, things you're ashamed of, things you're proud of, God is building your future on that foundation. The Israelites were sent back from exile. And they assumed uh, that they could never overcome their past. Their, the memories of their past 
they assumed were a prophecy of their future. We were conquered, we're gonna get conquered again, like this isn't gonna work, why even try? They settled into their homes, they stopped pursuing the story God had for them of rebuilding the temple, and instead, they focused on themselves. They focused on making themselves better, their lives better, not on what God had in store for them. Here's, here's what it says in Haggai chapter four, or chapter one, verse four. It says, is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? God's getting pretty strong here with the Israelites. Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much but harvested little. Meaning you're spinning your wheels. You're trying so hard and it feels like nothing is happening. You eat but never have enough. You drink but never have your fill. You put on clothes but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. God is saying you have an appetite that is unquenchable. You want more, you want more stuff, you want to get a, whatever it is. Here's the deal, unquenchable. You will never satisfy yourself. You're trying. We are Americans. We are the best at this in the world, right? Like, we can, you can get a cup of soda that's the size of like a gallon of milk. And we're like, can you upsize that please? I need more. We are the best at this. We love to consume more. We want more. We have an unquenchable hunger for more. This is one of our strengths as a country. It drives us, right? But it's also one of our incredible weaknesses. God's saying to the Israelites here, because this is a human thing, right? This isn't an American thing. Stop trying to satisfy your desires, that unquenchable desire, and trust in me. Trust in me, because I'm not going to bless what you're trying to do for yourself. I'm gonna bless what you join me in doing. God wasn't blessing their efforts because God wasn't even part of their efforts. And, and here's the reality, here's the reality of dreaming again, of picking up the pen to start writing the story again. While we may have seemingly impossible circumstances in front of us, while we may have failed with God's help, here's the deal, we can actually dream again. We can start writing that beautiful story he has for us again. And, and it's not us taking up the pen to write what we think should happen or what we hope will happen. It's not like God handing you the pen of your life and saying, write out whatever you dream of. Whatever comes to your mind, just write. No, that's not what it is. It's God giving us the pen and working with us toward the story he has for our lives, the story he's wanting to write for our lives. See, what if God's hope for your future what if the dreams he has for you and the story he's wanting to write don't involve repeating the past but building on the past? Like God's not trying to repeat history. He's trying to build on your history. What if the past didn't create some barrier for your future of like, well, you did this, that means this is impossible, but it became the foundation of your future. You're like, that's crazy, that's not possible. I've been told my whole life that's not gonna happen. Here's the deal, God sees things from a very different perspective. There's this thing called redemption. I don't know if you've heard of it. Redemption is this remarkable concept in scripture. And it's not just in scripture, it's been happening for thousands of years throughout human history where God takes broken, marred, impossible circumstances and people and he breathes on them. And what was painful and lost and forgotten, overlooked and outcast becomes beautiful, becomes this incredible picture of what God can do. This is the story of redemption. 
Haggai is a story of redemption. And Jesus hadn't even come onto the scene yet. We're not even in the New Testament. How remarkable is that? Why? Because God's heart beats for redemption. And you might have counted yourself out. Maybe others have counted you out. Here's the deal. God has never counted you out. He's still handing you the pen and saying, let's work together. Let's write this story. See, here's what I believe God longs to do in your life, in your future. I believe God has things in store for your future that you've never thought were even possible. You've thought, that's not even, that's a crazy thing. I ate the wrong pizza last night. Whatever it is, you've discounted it and you're like, you don't know what's in me and what, what things I've done or reasons why this can't happen. Or, man, you don't know how good things were in the past. I will never match up to that again. Or you don't know how great my dad or my mom were. I can never match up to that. You don't know the junk that my family's been in. I can never outrun that. And God is saying, hold off now. They don't dictate your future. Your, purse, your, 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 your past doesn't dictate your future. Your mistakes don't dictate your future. There's only one person that dictates your future. His name is God. And this is what he's trying to say to the Israelites. And those things that you're looking in front, in front of you and before you will never be possible, just like you think, until you're willing to partner with God in writing this story and pursuing his dreams. Not trying to do it ourselves and make it happen in our own ability, but ultimately working with God. When we failed, when dreams fall flat, we often view the future through the same lens. And while it's good to learn from our past, we should learn from our mistakes, it's really dangerous when we view our future through the lens of our past, because that was our past. It's behind us. I've said this before, but if you ever drive down the road, stare in the rearview mirror, see how far you get before you hit something, don't do that. I didn't tell you to do that, okay? Don't come suing me or something. You will wreck, right? You won't get very far. There's a reason your windshield is bigger than your rearview mirror because you gotta look ahead. When we view our future through the lens of our past, we're, we're gonna run into an accident. We're running into to chaos. In other words, when we start letting what's happened to us dictate what, what can happen through us, our future and the story God has for us is never gonna be possible. God has made it really clear throughout the entire Bible, Genesis to Revelation, throughout the years of human existence, thousands of years that followed, that he is writing a story that isn't dependent on perfect people that have it all together, but a group of people willing to surrender their story to his. He took a simple shepherd named David made him a mighty king, the greatest king in Israel's history. He took a farmer named Elisha and made him one of the great prophets in the entire Old Testament. He took 12 uneducated men and transformed them into powerful apostles that would heal the sick, raise the dead, proclaim the gospel all the way to their own deaths. Like God is in the business of taking what can't happen and making it happen. You see, God isn't just about giving us a story to achieve He's giving us a future to write. He's wanting to write a future for us. And here's the deal. God isn't a taskmaster giving you some list of things to accomplish. Like if you can just jump through all these hoops, if you can do all these hundred things, then I'll be honored and pleased with you. But he's a dreamer laying out a journey he wants to take with you. 
Because the deal is a taskmaster wants you to do things that they're not willing to do themselves. No, God wants to take the journey with you. He's writing this beautiful story that he's not asking you to do on your own, but he wants to experience with you. How do I know that? Because you can see it time and time and time again throughout history, throughout scripture. God is writing a story that he wants to take with you. Listen to this. Haggai chapter 2, verse 7. Here's what he says to the Israelites. He says, I will shake all the nations, and what is desired by all nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. He's like, I'm taking responsibility. Listen to this. Look what he says. He says, I will shake all the nations. I will fill this house. He's not saying, you guys figure this out. I gave you the task. Now get it done. He's saying, I'm going to take ownership of this. I'm working with you. You're not on your own on some island trying to figure this out. I'm here. And, and, and for you today, you might be walking through circumstances and you're like, man, I don't know how I'm going to make this. I, I, God's put something in my heart, but I know I can't do it. And, and can I tell you the truth? You're right. You can't do it. You'll never do it. But this guy, I, he says in the, earlier in the Old Testament, I am that I am. That God the one who said one word and things appeared in creation. The one that spoke the universe into existence and, and, and all the beauty around us into existence. Like that God is going to shake the nations. He, he's going to fill it with his glory. He's coming alongside you. You're not on your own trying to figure this out. The fear that many of the elders and priests had at this time was that the outward beauty and glory of this temple would never compare to Solomon's temple. And here's the deal, here's the truth. That was true. This temple would eventually be built, as far as the aesthetics, didn't even come close to what Solomon had built. Not even close. It didn't have all of the gold and silver and all of the cedar and everything the same. It was a, it was a, a building, it was a temple, accomplished its purpose. It was not nearly as beautiful aesthetically. However, God's saying here, that I will personally fill this place with my glory because it's going to be even greater than the former temple. That's what he says. He says the glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house. How can he say that? Because he's the one that determines its value and worth, right? He's saying, guys, I know you can't see it right now. You're stuck. You're stuck looking at the past. I'm telling you what's ahead is going to be greater if you're just willing to trust me. And here's my question for you today. What is the second act of your life? What, what if the second act of your life could be greater than the first? What if the best days actually are ahead of you and God is pleading with you, crying out to you, please, please listen to me. I have something even greater in store for your life if you would just let go of the past. Not forget about it, but not let it dictate your future. Stop living with your eyes behind you because what is before you is blessed and I promise you is far greater than anything that's behind you. I, I know some of you are thinking, listen, Nick, I, I've been down this path before. I don't have what it takes. It's not physically possible to do what God has called me to do to accomplish the dreams God has for me, to write the story he's wanting me to write. Like, it's not possible. I've tried. I've done all the math. I've added all it up. It doesn't work. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out I can't 
do it. Well, what if, what if what is possible or what is impossible in your life wasn't up to you to decide? I, I know we live in America. I can do whatever I want. We're told as children, whatever you put your mind to, you can do. What if that's not true? What if you can't just do whatever you put your mind to? What if you can do anything that God puts on your mind to do? What if he actually is the originator of impossibilities? What if he's the one that dictates that, not you? This is what God's called us to. For these exiles, they didn't have the wealth, they didn't have the resources that Solomon had at his disposal. If you look throughout human history, Solomon still to this day was one of the wealthiest individuals in all of human history. Put it up against everybody. Every millionaire, billionaire, trillionaire that's walked this earth. Solomon's wealth was at the top, near the top. One of the wealth. They didn't have that kind of wealth available to them. They didn't have the gold, the silver, the stone. Uh, they didn't have any of it. But listen to what God said about their lack of resources. Like, they had a good argument. We don't have the resources to do what God's called us to. Here's what God said. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. He's like, dude, who do you think made that gold and silver? Where do you think it came from? Just appeared? Absolutely not. I made that. It's mine. And God's like, don't worry about the resources. I made it. I'll give you what you need. For some of you, you might be thinking, I don't have the money, the time, the influence, the opportunity. I don't have that. Here's what I want to tell you what God's saying here. Remember the one that gives you all of that. It's God. And if God called you to something, don't you think he's gonna give you what you need when you need it? Rarely does he give it to you before you need it. That would be great. I wish he did that. He always gives it to you like right at the last minute. Like you're pulling up to the uh, tool booth back in the day on the turnpike and you're like, oh, no coins. And you're like, dude, I don't have any. Oh, there they are. Like, right at the last minute, that's how God works usually. But he's going to give you what you need when you need it, if you're willing to trust him. If God, it's God that lays out, ultimately, the story outline. Like, he lays it out. It's God that hands you the pen, and it's God that makes what is impossible possible. I love the challenge and promise God gives in the closing verses of Haggai as the worship team comes this morning. Here's what he says in Haggai chapter 2, verse 21. Listen to this. Tell Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, that I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth. I will overturn royal thrones and shatter the power of foreign kingdoms. Listen, we don't get this completely, but you have to understand that day, there were absolute powers and authorities that work in the world. Like kings, dictators, they could say anything and it would be done. And, And God's saying, They have power, but I have a greater power. I will overturn royal thrones and shatter the power of foreign kingdoms. And he goes on, I will overthrow chariots and their drivers, horses, and their riders will fall, each by the sword of his brother. Why did he write that? They had vehicles and equipment and the neighboring nations around Israel that sent fear through their veins. Why? Because the Israelites didn't have this massive military. They didn't have the tanks and the fighter jets and all the stuff. Everyone around them did. And they're like, if we start doing this, they're going to come and bomb us all and we're in trouble. Like, this is going to go really poor. And God's like, guys, I got you. 
I will overthrow the chariots and their drivers. Horses and riders will fall, each by the sword of his brother. And he goes on. On that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will take you, my servant Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and declares the Lord Almighty, listen to this, I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. Now, real quick, we, uh, we don't understand this idea of a signet ring. We miss this. We're in 2022. There aren't signet rings. God was saying, uh, nothing is going to stand in the way of what I've planned for you if you're willing to set aside your comfort, your preference, your past, and your ideals and write the story he has for you. He's made you like his signet ring. The ring was the staple of any king or ruler in that day. Anything that was written, no matter what, and possessed the signature of that signet ring carried with it the authority and resources of that king and kingdom. The signet ring was the signature of a king and a God that is writing your story. A story that would be utterly impossible without the authority and resources of that king. With God, all things are possible. So you're like, man, what God asks of me is too impossible. Yeah, it is. But when you put the signet ring and the authority and resources of that kingdom behind it, becomes possible. How in the world would God start an organization known as the church today? The church for over 2,000 years that has stood the test of time, that has advanced the gospel like no other organization or group of people in human history. How in the world could that have started with 12 uneducated men who had no clue what they were doing, didn't have a plan, they weren't following some textbook. Like, like God didn't leave them you know, a PowerPoint presentation and said, when you finish one slide, just hit next and do what's on the next slide. That, that didn't exist. How in the world did that happen? Because God had signed the story with his signet ring. They were the signature of God on the impossible. And, and here's my challenge to you today. As we close, I want to ask you three simple questions. When you came in, for those who are here in person, when you came in, you should have gotten a card. And on the front of that, there's three questions. And, and those questions are meant for you to process. And you might not process those right now, but at some point today, this week, you need to process these questions. Because these questions are more than just, you know, oh, well, i got to answer like a one-word question. No, these are deeper questions that maybe you need to process with someone. Here's the first question. What story is God wanting to write with your life? Have you ever even thought about that? You know, we get so wrapped up in the, the day-to-day, week-to-week, it's just about survival. It's just about getting through today and tomorrow. What is the story, what's the bigger story God's wanting to write with your life? Where's your life going? You might not know all the details, and we won't, but, but, but we read in Scripture that his word is a light unto our feet, a lamp unto our path. His word can illuminate what that looks like. What's the story God's wanting to write with your life? The second question is, what comforts is God asking you to give up to write that story? I know, now I'm stepping on toes. Whoa, God wants me to be comfortable and, and actually no, actually he doesn't. God wants you to be uncomfortable. The early church didn't have it easy. They were persecuted, imprisoned. Some of them would die for the gospel. I'm not saying we're gonna die for the gospel, but there are people around the world who are. To write the story God has for you, to write this 
history that God wants you to live out, I promise you, you're going to have to give up some comfort. What comforts is God asking you to give up to write the story? What is he asking you to surrender to give up the story? It could be time, resources, preference. It could be all kinds of things. What comforts is God asking you to give up to write that story? And the last question, what's the first step God has for you in writing his story? We can get big picture. Man, what's the story? Okay. What, what's he asking me to give up? Okay. <clears throat> well, what's the next step? What's that first step that he wants you to write? We can easily get lost in the big picture, but what is the next step? What is one thing today you can do to start moving in that direction? Maybe for you, maybe it's starting to read your Bible every day. Maybe it's starting there. Maybe it's praying with your kids at bedtime. You're like, I've never done that before. My family never did. My parents never did that for me. Maybe you're changing your family's trajectory. Praying with your kids at night. Maybe it's, maybe it's enrolling in a master's class. Maybe it's dabbling in a career, putting feelers out for a business that God's calling you or a nonprofit he's asking you to start. I don't know, what, what is that next step? What's that first step God is asking you to take in writing his story? The story of God is written through people who take steps, not those who overanalyze their steps. The story of God is experienced through the bold, courageous steps that people take that oftentimes don't always make sense, but will always end when God is with them with this remarkable moment of looking back. And you know, these Israelites in Haggai with Zerubbabel would build the temple. They would do what God called them to do. It seemed impossible, but when they finally stepped in and started putting those one foot in front of the other, they built it. They did construct it. It was a, an impressive building and structure when they were willing to be obedient. And my question to you guys today, as we're writing history, what is God writing in your life? What's the story he's writing in your life? It's far beyond what you think is possible and those around you think is possible but it's right where God can be glorified, magnified, and show himself faithful in your story. Because the story he wants to write in your life will not be possible without his signet ring, his resources, his authority. If it is, it's not his story. It's your story. His story is gonna take an impossible show of his power to fulfill. Before we go this morning, I want to pray. I want to pray that God would empower you and equip you, that God, through his Holy Spirit, would reveal to you this week as you walk through these questions, and I challenge you, walk through them. If you're married, walk through them with your spouse. If you have good friends, grab some coffee, talk about them. Maybe it's some of your coworkers at, 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 at lunch break, in the break room. I don't know who it is. I want you to talk through those questions. Don't just sit there by yourself. You need to process those questions. It's important. Why? Because look at what happened with William Paul Young. Never would have written a story, had no intent in writing a story, but someone from the outside, his wife, challenged him to do something he never thought of doing. And God did remarkable things through that story, and still is. God has a story for you to write. And it's going to take you pushing yourself out of your comfort zone, being obedient when the Holy Spirit prompts, and stepping out and seeing what he and only he can do. Would you stand with me this morning? 
before we, before we go. I wanna pray for you. And here's my prayer. My prayer is a prayer of commissioning. Prayer of commissioning. You know, prayers of commissioning are actually often prayed over missionaries. They're prayed over pastors. Uh, you see uh, many of the big missionaries throughout human history that, that are sent out from their church. There's a moment where people lay hands on them and they pray a prayer of commissioning. And they send them off and say, uh, God is with you. We empower you. Go and do what only he can do. And they send them to a foreign land. Here's the deal. I want to pray a prayer of commissioning over you as you don't go to a foreign land, but you go right here to your homeland. And that God would use you to write a story that seems totally, utterly impossible. And it's not you. It's him working through you. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you. Lord, I thank you that you write a story. You've, you have a story outlined for each of our lives, Lord, that would scare us to death if we saw all the details. But God, today we come before you and surrender. We say, Lord, Lord, use us. God, forgive us for putting the pen down. Forgive us for walking away. Forgive us, Lord, for comparing our present and future with our past. God, forgive us for discounting what only you can do. God, today we take up the pen and we say, Lord, use us. Use me. Here I am. Send me. Lord, I just pray a prayer of commissioning over this church. I pray a prayer of commissioning. God, over those watching online, Lord, I pray a prayer of commissioning. God, over those that are before us, Holy Spirit, work through us, empower us, equip us. God, do the seemingly impossible in our lives, in our families, in our workplaces, in our schools. God, we know that there are reasons and, and, and logic, Lord, that says this can't be done, but God, we trust in you. God, we, we, we lean into you today. And God, as their pastor, I pray over this church. Holy Spirit, fall, empower, commission us, Lord, to do the impossible. God, the people that come from Calvary aren't those who do the easy things, aren't those who do the logical things, aren't those, Lord, who do what seems to make sense. But we do the impossible, the unthinkable, the illogical, the improbable, God, because it's not us, it's you working through us. God, write a story for the ages through us, Lord. We trust you. We surrender to you, Lord. God, this week, God, let us be obedient to your prompting. As we walk through these questions, let us write a story. Let us give up the comforts you're calling us to. God, let us take that first step and begin moving in the direction you have for our lives, our future, our family. Thank you, Lord, for not giving up on us. Jesus, thank you that when you are with us, there's nothing we can't do. We surrender our lives to you today, regardless of what our lives look like or our past looks like. We surrender to you, and we trust you with those next steps. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Thank you guys so much for joining us today. And I want to encourage you, walk boldly, courageously in this world. God is writing a story through you. Let's not inch our way, tiptoe our way. Let's run after what God has for us because it's better and bigger than you could ever imagine as he works with you. Have a great week, guys. Enjoy the Super Bowl tonight. And we will see you guys next Sunday as we continue our series, Writing History. This is Pastor Nick Poole, the lead pastor at Calvary. We're so glad you joined us for today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed the message. At Calvary Church, we're passionate about leading people into an overflowing life with Jesus. We would love the opportunity to connect with you on your faith journey and hear what God is doing in your life or join you in prayer for any needs you might have. You can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com or send us an email at info at calvaryirwin.com. 
On our website, you'll find previous week's messages, a list of upcoming events, as well as resources designed to help you take those next steps on your journey of faith. See you next week, and may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. 